0: All right, Revelation 2, turn to Revelation 2, and somebody tell me the name of the church that we talked about last week, the church at Thyatira, Thyatira. oh, it's not up there yet, very good, all right, I thought maybe you read it off the screen or something like that, all right, before you put these up there, Brother Josh, did I put this, the, uh, the one in there for all the strengths, did I put that in the, in the uh, slides or in the PowerPoint, the PowerPoint? okay, all right, <clears throat> what are they? Do you remember last week we looked at the church at Thyatira, the strengths of that church, and we had four of them. Do you remember one? Their, their works and they were right. They were a church that was hard at work serving the Lord, and they were increasing in their work for the Lord. What's another one? We said there, were, there was three more. Josh? Charity. Charity. Okay, they were, they were a loving church. We said they were a church that had faith. faith? And what was the last one? They were a very patient church. Very good. Good. So we looked at those things. Those were the strengths. But as great as those strengths were, uh, the simple truth is that John here in Revelation places the bulk of the information about the church at Thyatira um, in the weakness category. And they were pretty severe. And, And his language to the church at Thyatira was pretty harsh. Um, you know, a lot of these churches, he kind of said, hey, this, this is great, 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 but I have somewhat against thee, right? That's not very harsh, but he, he really comes down hard on the church at Thyatira. Verse 18, and unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass, I know thy works, and charity... And service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. That's it. He summarizes everything that's good about that church in that one verse. And then he takes 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26 to talk about all the things that's wrong in this church. And honestly, all of it pretty much stems from one thing. Uh, But he says this, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into, her, into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But I but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which ye have already hold that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers small pieces, splinters, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. But boy, I tell you, that is some pretty powerful language. Um, Very clearly, in spite of their strengths, God was angry with the church at Thyatira. And uh, so, so that begs the question, why? That's what we want to look at tonight. There are three major weaknesses that really all stem from the same idea. So let's look at those tonight. And the first one is this. Um, there was the presence of immorality in the church. Um, look at, you can just go back to some of those verses. Really, I suppose verse 20 is, is probably um, where you see most of it. But, but look at some of the phrases that you see in there. To seduce my servants to commit fornication. Of her fornication and them that commit adultery. Uh, he's he's really hitting this idea hard and it's obvious that they were you know that there was the presence of immorality in the church. And I'll tell you what, turn turn over to Proverbs chapter six. Keep you can keep your finger there in Revelation two, because we're gonna come back to it, put a bookmark in there or something, but turn over to Proverbs chapter six. I will tell you this sexual impurity brings great reproach to the name of Christ. And boy, you can probably think of, of many, many examples, and I don't usually use names, but this one is such a popular example. Jimmy Jimmy Swagger, right? Great, well-known name among Christian circles, at least to a certain extent. And what happened? He fell prey to this, and the entire nation knew about it, right? And what does that do? It just allows the people who didn't like him already to say, see, I knew I didn't like that guy. I knew I didn't like what he was preaching. I knew that he was a hypocrite, and that's why I can't stand Christianity, right? Right? Jimmy Jimmy Swaggart and, and I you know I mean I was alive during a lot of his ministry but I can't say that I knew a whole lot about him uh, but there's probably a lot of good things that Jimmy Swaggart did for the, for Christ right but look what happens one thing can ruin an entire ministry can can damage the name of Christ can damage the name of all of Christianity. Because sexual impurity brings great reproach to the name of Jesus Christ. And not only does it bring great reproach to an individual, but it brings great reproach to a church, right? How many times have you uh, heard, and, and, and maybe you don't hear about these very much, I, I, I hate to generalize all of these things, but you know, most of you have been involved in a lot of this stuff for a long time and, and heard stories at least of a pastor who fell into immorality, right? And what does that do to the church? It could be a great church with a lot of great people in it, but you have a pastor who falls into immorality and the next thing you know, don't go to that church, that, that church, you know, there are a bunch of, you know, whoremongers over there, you know, when, when in actuality it's one person. But it brings great reproach, not only to that individual, but to the church as a whole. Proverbs 6, 32, but whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. I mean, obviously, God forgives. And somebody that falls into immorality, God can forgive that. But the reproach doesn't go away. Because that's something that stains a reputation of a a person and stains the reputation of a church that for for most of them lasts for years and years and years and most of the time never goes away. Uh, it's pretty clear um, the sternness of, um, that Samuel uses to speak to David about the Lord's displeasure in his impurity. And I won't have you turn over there, but 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 14, David says this, Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. You know the story of David. David was supposed to be at war. He stayed home. Saw Bathsheba up on the housetop and had her husband killed, went into her, and committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is something that brought a national blight on that nation because of what David did. And Samuel comes to David, and one of the things that he says to David is, by what you've done, you've given a great... Opportunity for the enemy to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. They're looking for an opportunity to destroy Christianity. They're looking for an opportunity to drag down the name of Jesus Christ. And when things like that happen, you give them that opportunity to blaspheme the name of Christ, just like I mentioned. Oh, I knew it all along. Look, all, all you Christians are the same. You pretend to be this and this and this and this, and all you are is a bunch of hypocrites. Well, the majority of Christianity is not that way, right? Right? But one person can ruin the entire reputation of an entire religion for some people, right? There's, this, there's a serious case in the works right now of a pastor that's been accused of some horrible things. He went down to a church in Florida. And, I mean, it's just it's crazy how these things work. Um, he's been accused of some things with a minor and he denies it, but there's very strong evidence against it. It's going to, he's going to be proven guilty and, and everything else because there's so much evidence against him. He went down to a church in Florida where that pastor already had some accusations against him, and they together were going to start a college. Go figure. Well, these accusations made it to the media because he actually got indicted, and, and this process is, is taking place right now. I mean, he literally just posted bond and all of that stuff. He went down to this church in Florida where that pastor already had some accusations against him. And you know what they did in the media down in Florida? They brought all of those things back up against that pastor. And His statute of limitations had run out by the time all of this stuff happened with the pastor that was already down in Florida and everything else, so nothing could be done against it. But again, it just gives the enemy an opportunity to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ and to drag it down and to tear it down and to tear Christianity down, and that's what they've been wanting to do all along, just looking for opportunities to do it. And when stuff like this happens, it just gives the enemies of the Lord the opportunity to blaspheme, and that's that's what Samuel was saying to David. There's more and more cases being exposed every day of fornication that happens uh, within the church. And, of course, you hear about cases like that because, uh, you know, they're, they're looking for opportunities. They want to tear down the name of Jesus Christ. It brings reproach to the name of Jesus Christ. And, uh, so then the question is, why does it happen in churches so much? You know, I mean, it happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. But the church is the one place that it should never happen, you know, uh, Solomon tells us in Proverbs 6, in verse 26, and you're probably still there just a couple verses before the, the ones that we just looked at, but the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. You know, there's value in the homes and in the marriages of those who lead the Lord's church, right? There's value in that. It's precious because you're leading a lot of other families and you're leading a lot of other uh, people in that direction to serve God. And so there's there's... Uh, there's a present value, and there's potential value. There's no telling what God can do with the church that's moving forward for him. So the devil knows that full well, and he makes it his special goal to destroy that value whenever and wherever possible. Now, we can't blame it all on the devil. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, he tempted you, but he didn't make you do it. You have that choice. You have the opportunity to say no. Uh, but Zechariah 13 and verse 7, Smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, the prophet said. You know? Pastors and deacons and teachers and leaders of ministries and their husbands and wives, uh, they have a target on their back. But every one of us is susceptible to being tempted in that way. So what are we to do? Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. We cannot in one message cover uh, the doctrines of holiness, but that's really where everything starts. I, I love the topic. The idea is a great topic that they want us to, to talk about over there in, in Moldova. Um, Uh, And there's so much about it, but honestly, if, if we had holiness, we would literally have no other issues. Holiness is the answer. If we were holy, not that we would never be tempted, but that we wouldn't fall prey to those things. If we were holy, then the moment we start seeing ourselves and feeling ourselves being pulled away, we'd get back. The reason we fall away from God and the reason we fall into sin is because we fall away from holiness. I mean, that is, that is what it comes down to. Uh, without holiness, we cannot and will not be able to put off the devil's advances. Uh, so it, it's, it's incumbent upon us that we be aware, that we be protecting ourselves against what the devil wants to do to us. And make no mistake, look what it says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Be sober... Be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's the way the devil is. He's not your friend. He's not this little red guy with horns and a pitchfork. He's a roaring lion who wants to absolutely destroy your life and your family's life, and he will do it with every opportunity that he gets. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. We need to be um, aware, to beware. When immorality is present in the leadership of a, of a church, many times it ruins an entire generation of younger kids that are coming up because they see a pastor fall, and they think, if a pastor can't handle it, I can't handle it either. And they throw in the towel. They give up. Um, You know, maybe some of the older people have seen it before, and they take it in stride, but the younger people many times are often too immature and too weak in their faith to be able to handle those kind of things, and it's just an opportunity and an excuse that they're looking for to say, you know what, forget all this stuff. Christianity, there's nothing to it in the first place, and in addition to that, the lives that are ruined directly, but it takes the steam out of churches for decades, and that's exactly what the devil's trying to do. No wonder Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, right? We've got to flee those things. Put them away, put them out of our minds. So they, uh, this this church there at Thyatira, they were there was the presence of immorality in the church. Go back to Revelation 2. The second thing, and I think even a, a worse thing than the fact that there was immorality present, and that's bad enough, but the second thing is that those who were being immoral were not repentant. Um, that's, this was not something that people were struggling with. It's not like they were, you know, uh, they were fighting a battle and losing. They weren't even fighting the battle. They weren't even trying to fight against those things. They, they, were, they were hard-hearted about it. It says that pretty clearly in verse 21. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. God's very aware of the fact that we sin. Now He doesn't like it when we do. But he's very aware of the fact that we do sin. None of us are perfect. Uh, He says in Psalm 103, verse 14, He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. He knows who we are. He knows that we're sinners. He knows that we're human. He knows that we have this old flesh that's trying to get us to fall. And yes, sometimes he has to punish us because of our sin. And yes, sometimes he has to cause these things to happen in our lives to get us to turn back to him. But he knows that we're humans. He knows that we're going to sin, and he very graciously makes forgiveness easy to to obtain through confession of that sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not like God says, well, man, I don't don't know about that one. That one's pretty rough, but uh, okay, well, maybe I guess I can forgive that one. No, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess it. We don't have to do it to a man. We do it to God. And because of those things, when his grace is is trampled on, uh, and when his instructions toward righteousness and his offers of mercy are just uh, spurned by his people, he takes that very seriously. Turn over to Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1. God's very serious about this idea, and, and I think we can take this in a lot of different directions. Obviously, we're specifically talking about this immorality by this church tonight, and the fact that they were not repentant of this immorality, but God takes it seriously no matter what it is. If it's lying and you won't repent of that lying, he takes that seriously the same way. If it's if it's stealing or, uh, uh, you know, having a bad temper or anger or any of those things, you know, if we know we have it and we're not willing to repent of it, that is literally trampling on the grace of God, you know? It's, it's like somebody who's saying, you know, Jackson comes to me and, and you know, maybe he... He says something disrespectful that he shouldn't say, and I say, all right, Jackson, that's not something that you should say. His response should be, you're right, I'm sorry, right? But if his response is to say something smart like back, it's literally trampling on my grace, being nice to him, you know? I, I, I mean, I could have I swung my fist and knocked him out if I wanted to, right? But because, really, it's because of my mercy, and because of my grace that I'm not going to do that to him, right? That would be a harsh response. And, and look, God could, God could just hammer us when we do something simple or small. He could. He doesn't because of his grace. But then when we sin and we don't repent of those things and God gives us a chance, you hear it in the message or something like that, and you know you should repent of it and you don't, that's essentially just trampling on the grace of God. And that's something that he takes very seriously. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have set it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. In other words, all the attempts that I'm making to try to get you to come back to me and to do what's right. You just pushed them off. I will also laugh at your calamity, he says. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. You know what that's saying? Someday you're going to get into a situation where you're going to say, God, this happened and my loved one is in the hospital. They're in ICU. Please, please help them get out. God's going to say, "You had your chance." He's going to laugh when their fear cometh, when that destruction comes on them. He's going to say, "I can't hear you." Right? And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Bible says, "If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me." Right? You have sin in your life. You can pray to God all you want to. It's bouncing off the ceiling and it's it's echoing in this room, and that's as far as it's getting because God wants us to to keep things short with him. We sin, we confess it. Sin again, confess it. God knows we're going to sin, but confess it. And when we don't, then God has to deal harshly with it, which is exactly what he did with his church at Thyatira. Um, Sadly, we're not done yet with the list of Thyatira's weaknesses in relation to impurity. Uh, It was present, that's bad. But obviously, the person in question refused to repent, and that's worse. But we're just now only getting to the worst thing. Look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 20. The third thing is this. Those who were being unrepentantly immoral were being allowed to influence others to be impure too. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. Now, turn over to 1 Kings 21. Whoever this woman Jezebel was, I don't know if her name was specifically Jezebel or not. I don't think it probably was, but God was comparing this woman to Jezebel that we find in 1 Kings 21. But this sexually loose woman was clearly influential in the church. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess or a teacher, at least to some degree. It says that. Um, which calleth herself a prophetess. You you are permitting her to teach and to seduce my servants. Um, She developed some kind of doctrine to justify this depravity. I don't know exactly what it was. We're not given everything here. And she developed the following. Now, who is Jezebel historically? That was the woman that influenced Ahab to become such a wicked king. We see that in 1 Kings 21, verse 25. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. Now, fornication is disastrous enough. It's bad enough that those things are going on. But when those who are immoral are unrepentant, Scripture is very clear. They're to be kicked out of the church. And that's, we talk about this idea of church discipline. That's when church discipline is to be instituted, right? Right? Church discipline is not there for somebody who tells a lie. Oh, you you lied, out, you know. It's not that. It's for those who are continuing in sin and are not willing to repent of it. Someone who falls into immorality, someone who commits adultery, it's not excusable, but it's understandable. It does happen sometimes, and it, it does, doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it acceptable, but it happens. And if somebody who does that comes before the church and says, I am so sorry that this happened. I did not mean to you know, allow it and blah, 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 whatever the, you know, whatever the story happens to be. But if they're repentant, then, then the, the purpose, you know, we're not kicking them out of the church. The purpose of church discipline, though, is to get somebody to realize that they need to repent. Because if somebody goes and commits adultery and runs off with this woman, and he's got a wife sitting on one side of the auditorium, and he's sitting on the other side of the auditorium with his girlfriend the next Sunday... That's allowing adultery and sin to be in the church. And that's exactly what God was so upset with this church at Thyatira about. Not only were they being immoral, they were not repentant of their immorality. And then those people, okay, so you have the wife sitting on one side of the auditorium, the husband and his girlfriend sitting on the other side, and their teachers in the church. That's essentially what was happening in the church at Thyatira. And I don't know the exact situation, but he, that's essentially what was going on. And God was so adamant against them because he said, you need to deal with that. You're allowing open sin to be in the church, and it shouldn't be there. That's, that's what God was talking about. The last thing that a church should be doing in a situation is allowing them a platform to then go on and pass uh, on their self-justified sensuality to the others in the church. It's essentially saying, okay. Well, obviously, we got a situation going on here, so why don't you all come up here and tell us why you're doing the things that you're doing? And they come up here with uh, you know, ten bullet points of why everything they're doing is okay, and the church said, Okay, makes sense, and allowed it to continue. That's what was going on in this church, and that's why God spends so many verses there in Revelation 2, just, just essentially blasting them for allowing these things to go on. It's just asking for God's judgment. There's a fine balance. Because somebody that falls into sin needs to be loved. They don't need to be kicked when they're down. And I think that's a mistake that we make a lot of times in our churches as well. Somebody sins and, oh, that guy, don't ever talk to him again. Get them out of here. And they want to repent and they say, you don't belong in this place. You're a sinner. As if we're all perfect, right? So we we can take it to the other extreme too. There needs to be a fine balance. They need to be loved and they need to be accepted when they repent. But there also needs to be repentance. And if there is no repentance, then there is no acceptance of what they're doing. Um, There's open sin that it needs to be dealt with quickly and harshly in the hopes that they'll see the error of what they're doing and get that right with God. That's what church discipline is on. This this is not a lesson on church discipline tonight, but that's what church discipline is all about. Um, The whole idea of church discipline is to get somebody to realize that what they're doing is wrong. And to get it right. And once they get it right, what's the Bible say? Accept them back. That's the, the, the purpose of church discipline has been accomplished then. So there's no place for immorality in the church by the leadership or by the members or, or by anybody else. We need to make sure that we're promoting holiness so that we can prevent those things from happening. Um, and, and certainly, uh, we need to have things in place so that things like that really cannot happen, right? I'm not going to meet in my office by myself with a lady with the door closed, right? 99% of the time, nothing would happen and and everything would be fine. But you're just opening yourself up for things to happen. And we have to stay above board. And so so not just with me in my office, but it ought to be that way with everybody, you know? Uh, A man ought not to go and say, hey, I need to talk to you. Let's go into this room real quick and we'll talk about it. Okay, fine, if that's all you're doing it's just talking, but all we're doing is opening ourselves up for something to happen that we're going to wish hadn't, and we we can't allow it, you know? We cannot allow those things in the church. We cannot survive as a church if we are allowing sin to prevail in the church. Now, I, I pray that it never happens here because it would break my heart to have to deal with that, but if it happens, we will deal with it. And we'll deal with it harshly because that's exactly what God did with this church at Thyatira. He dealt very harshly with them because the immorality was happening. They were not repenting of that immorality. And they were actually allowing these people to have a platform to teach and to preach and to do everything else in there when they were immoral in the first place. So let's make sure that we're all protecting ourselves from that immorality that became such a problem for the church at Thyatira. We want to establish a strong church that is going to be in existence For the glory of God. And if we allow sin to go unchecked and unpunished and undealt with, this is not a place where God's going to dwell. And He's certainly not going to be glorified by what happens in this place if we don't deal with it. Is it is it hard? Absolutely. I would hate to have to I hope I hope and pray that we never have to get to the point where somebody needs to be disciplined out of the church. I would, uh, I'd, I would hate that with everything in me. But I'm also not going to allow this church to become a place that God's not going to bless because somebody won't get something right with God. And the more we allow it, and the longer we allow it, the less we're going to have God's power, and certainly we're not going to be a church that is uh, able to be established as a strong church for the glory of God. Let's not be like this church at Thyatira. Well, let's emulate their strengths, but let's be careful of their weaknesses. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us, as we have so often. God, I thank you for the examples of these churches in the Bible that give us exactly what we need to help us establish the church that you want us to be. Boy, if we could just emulate every strength of every church, if we could avoid every weakness of every church, we could be a church that you're pleased with. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us as we strive to do that. We want to be a strong church. We don't want to have the weaknesses that these churches had, that you had to call out and that you had to deal with harshly. And God, at the slightest uh, weakness, I pray that you'd help us to deal strongly and harshly with it so that we can keep this place as pure as you want it to be, and that it would be a place where you're so comfortable here on Sundays that you can just come in and be right alongside us as we worship you Can you just come in and feel so comfortable blessing everything that we're doing because we're living right, we're living holy. I pray that you'd help us to always be that church. God, I pray that you'd help us to be a witness for you. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're dismissed.